So, uh, yeah, an emotional affair uh, can count. Doesn't just have to be physical um, or, or sexual specifically. Other thoughts? The breaking of trust in really significant ways. Yeah. Violation of the covenant. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got even, um, some people have talked about how someone might have an affair with their work, like they just, um, their job is so important and they spend so much time there that it's, it's almost like a mistress. Um, of course, there, there, there's physical and, and sexual. In emotional affairs, there's, there's three components that are kind of indicators that an emotional affair is happening. Um, one is that there's secrets being kept from your spouse. Two is that uh, you're sharing things on a more intimate level than with your spouse. And then three, that there's sexual attraction at least on one part, whether it's um, the person in the, in the marriage or the person that they're interacting with. If either one of them are sexually attracted to each other, then, you know, that counts. Um, and so that's something to watch out for. Um, but again, people have, have a wide range of things that they count as uh, affairs. I've, I've had a couple, um, this is a, a church-going couple. I'm not saying they don't go to this church. No, no confidential information being shared. But um, they were swingers. And so they, they would together choose to have sex with other people or other couples. And the thing that made them feel like an affair had happened is when one of the people had sex um, without the other person's knowledge or consent. And it, you know, coming from a Christian perspective, it's, it's um, strange and weird that you, you think like, um, they've already said to each other that the, the covenant of marriage is, is not that big of a thing. Um, and, and it's just never surprising to me that if, if that's the case, um, that one of them decides it's okay, you know, for me to have sex with somebody else. Um, but again, just a lot of different concepts and uh, ideas or opinions about what counts as an affair. Um, <clears throat> so how do affairs happen? Thoughts on this? Violation of boundaries. Can you say more about that? Um, you know, I mean, have every person, I guess, has a certain set of boundaries, and you know, they interact with people in other, like at work, other settings, and they're kind of, um, they adjust those boundaries based on those relationships, I guess. Yeah. So violation of boundaries, um, and if. Some people might not have ever even put a, a bit of thought into what are good boundaries, what are bad boundaries. And, and I think a lot of people just on a subconscious level have some set of boundaries um, that they sort of go by. And then if they, they end up violating those boundaries, that can be dangerous to <coughs> territory, certainly. Uh, other thoughts 
on how affairs happen or risk factors for an affair occurring? I'm just kind of curious. You didn't really address this, but some think that um, the engagement in pornography is what constitutes an affair because sometimes the violation or the secrecy all is a part of that. Uh, yeah. Is, is that something that you'll address? Because uh, in some some others will say that's really outside of that. I just um, how do affairs happen? Sometimes it's when things begin to distance between a couple. Yeah. that they start entering into the secrecy experience. Yeah, um, I, I didn't have plans to talk a whole lot about that, but it, it's certainly something that people, some people will count as an affair, and it's definitely something that's a risk factor that if you're doing that, then it makes um, the likelihood go up, because it's like you're just, you're training your brain to be sexually aroused by someone other than your spouse and and so that can be dangerous certainly um, <clears throat> there's the there's the classic thing I'll explain and have heard many times for, for a couple when a couple comes in and they've experienced an affair um, you know someone the the wife's uh, e either at her job or, or home doing a lot of things and then the guy's at his job and it's really stressed, and then uh, he talks to some coworker, and and they have a lot in common, and then they're discussing the difficulties that they're having in life, and and then one of them says that they were gonna start, they're wanting to get in better shape, and so they wanted to walk on their lunch break, and the other person's like, oh, I was wanting to do that. Why don't we just walk together? And then so they're walking. Um, every lunch talking and chatting and things like that and getting closer and then not sharing that with their spouse and then one of them goes to pick up a stapler or something and, and the other person goes at the same time and their hands brushed and there's just like a little spark and then you know it just kind of snowballs and <clears throat> I would, most people don't set out to have an affair. Most people, that, at least anecdotally that I've had in my office, would say that they didn't plan to have an affair and it just sort of happened. And so it's definitely the kind of thing you need to be active and intentional about avoiding. Um, and <clears throat> I've, I've uh, many times said that for a person that says, I'll never have an affair. That's that's not something I would ever do. Those people, I think, are at higher risk because they're not hyper vigilant. They're not on guard against an affair happening. So, so they just kind of relax and don't think about it because they're like, oh, that's never going to happen to me. Um, so that's just always something I like to point out to people. Um, <clears throat> some of the risk factors that were talked about in the book. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know how many people, um, there might be some people that haven't been here yet, but this, this class is basically, or basically loosed off, loosely based off of uh, this book by um, John and Julie Gottman and 10 Lessons to Transform Your Marriage. And so some of the principles that we talk about are based off of that. And <clears throat> some of the things that they mention 
that are risk factors or um, affairs that happen in the family of origin, and then uh, valuing excitement over marital stability. Um, if if you if you're if you care a lot about just feeling good and, and having excitement, but but that's a higher value than the stability of your marriage, that's going to create a risk. If you if you live in a social environment and hang around people that say affairs are okay, or oh that just happens, everybody does that, you know it's no big deal, then then certainly you know there's there's not going to be any accountability, and so that's going to create more of a risk. Um, emotional distance from your spouse, of course, is a risk factor. Um, <clears throat> one of the one of the main things in in the chapter they had on affairs was conflict avoidant couples, and it, you, the thought used to be that conflict avoidant couples um, are more likely to have a bad marriage or, or divorce. And the research they found was that actually uh, conflict-avoiding couples, if that works for them, they can, they can have a, a pretty long, satisfying marriage. But there is a risk because avoiding conflict uh, really hinders intimacy. And so that just like the emotional distance is a risk factor, if you avoid conflict... Really, one, one of the things I talk about in therapy, if, if someone's coming into therapy, there's a really good chance that they've in some way been avoiding pain. You know, whether they're coming in for anger or grief or um, depression or, or some other thing, some sort of addiction, um, most of the problems we experience in life are really an outgrowth of having tried to avoid pain in some way that, that is having a negative effect. And <clears throat> conflict is something that needs to happen for, for a couple to be able to um, work through things and, and get closer to each other. And so if you avoid that conflict, then you're avoiding intimacy in any sort of pain that you avoid will tend to prolong and exacerbate pain. And the, the classic example is someone has a problem with, um, let's say they have a, troubles at work and then they start drinking to drown out their sorrows or just to not have to think about it or feel better, to get a little buzz or something like that. And then they start having a hangover and coming in to, to work late and end up getting fired or they're, they're more uh, verbally or physically abusive to their spouse and then it just ends up creating more problems. Um, and so that's, that's an important concept. Um, <clears throat> so they, they say uh, sidestepping difficult feelings blocks emotional intimacy. Uh, how, do, how would you define intimacy? I like when I'm working with an individual or a couple, I like to define this term. I like defining terms because if you're having a three-hour conversation and 
you both have different definitions. You're having two separate conversations and don't even realize it. So just pro tip for communication with your spouse, defining terms is helpful. How would you define intimacy? sharing on a deeper level than you would just normal everyday interactions. Okay. And that goes to emotional, physical, whatever. Sharing sure, like deeper mm -hmm. topics and yeah. yeah. Other thoughts? Well I'm kind of a yeah. naturally sharing person. I try to share everything all the time. But for me I feel intimacy when we're both fully engaged when there's, you know, it's hard with kids and all that. And we actually went to Gatlinburg last weekend, no kids, and just one night. And we had three and a half hour ride there and a three and a half hour ride back. And I told him when we got home, I was like, I can't remember the last time we've had that much time to talk to each other. And I told him that my feeling of intimacy was off the charts because we were both fully there and engaged mm -hmm. with each other. So. For me, I would say intimacy is a feeling more than the ability to share just because I, I always share. So. Well, in, which makes me think about personality differences and in, in that it's possible that the way an extrovert might uh, conceptualize intimacy might, might be different from the way an introvert might conceptualize intimacy. I don't know if either you're, you know, introvert, extrovert, but well, I'm you know, just <laughs> based off the little little clues I've given. Yeah. Um, and um, the the way that I've come to define it, I don't claim that I've got the right definition. This is just my working definition: is uh, being open, honest, real, raw, no mask, no facade, completely naked, while in the presence of another, and they still accept you. And it's reciprocal. And so, um, open, honest, real, raw, it's, it's fully known and fully accepted. That's one of the most beautiful things in life. It is also one of the scariest things in life because inherent in intimacy is risk. Because if you share your inner world, your thought world, and your hopes, desires, dreams, and all that kind of stuff, um, the risk of rejection, it's not just getting rejected on like the surface level personality type stuff, the, you know, like your name and, and your, where you were born and that kind of thing. But um, if someone rejects you and they don't know you very well, it doesn't hurt as much. Um, you know, if someone came up to you in the, in the airport and said, I never want to see you again, you would think that was weird, but it probably wouldn't hurt your feelings too awful much. You've never met him before. But it was someone that you shared so much of your life with, and then they say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Then you have to deal with this dilemma of, of why was I rejected? And I could spend two or three class times on that topic, so I'm not going to, but Jim. One of the things that I think prevents people from getting to intimacy, even though they want uh, we all desire that. Our, our tendency to uh, poke at the other one about our open, honest, real, and raw uh, 
perspectives. When they're focused on the other person, then that other person is not going to feel like they can be completely naked in their presence. If you mean like if it's an attack or criticism? If it's an attack or a criticism, that's going to start slowing down the possibility of the emotional intimacy that both desire. Yeah. So to be, it seems to me a component of intimacy is that you must find a way to communicate from your own perspective what you're going through. Like I'm feeling alone, or you know, if things are distanced in, in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's going to shut down the desire for intimacy because it's right. more of an attack than it is uh, a willingness to validate. Yeah, and there's this, this classic tool that therapists use. There's um, I statements and echoing, and, and I, the I statement is in, intended to keep you from doing an attack and, like, you're an idiot because you, um, you know, uh, you're selfish because you spend all this time with your friends instead of saying something like, when you spend um, two and sometimes three nights a week gambling with your buddies, it makes me feel like I'm not a priority. And, and it's, you're just expressing, here's, when this happens, this is how it makes me feel, um, which is designed to elicit more empathy than defensiveness. Um, and if you see me touching the mouse pad and stuff, it's just to make sure that this doesn't... Um, go into sleep mode or something. Um, <clears throat> so, I'm trying to think if there was some other comment I was going to make based on what you were saying. You might come back to me. Uh, any, anybody else have thoughts or comments on, on this, what we're talking about right now? How do you decide when that need or that concern that you speak to the other one about mm -hmm. is just unique to your neediness or is it something that's legitimate, it's real, and it should be addressed? That, well, that's a great question. There, sometimes it might be helpful to consult with a, a friend. Um, and as you're, the longer you're together, the more you try out talking about these things, you can find out, um, you'll get feedback and whether it's the quality of the feedback from your spouse, <laughs> they might not want to hear anything. And so, um, but there's, to be clear, when I say being open, honest, real, and raw, it's, it's not so much I'm telling you how I feel about you. Um, with intimacy being fully known and fully accepted, there's also this component where each of you are safe, trustworthy, non-judgmental, and understanding that that when that other person shares with you, they don't end up regretting it. So you, you want to be safety for them, and that, that's part of it. And so inherent in that idea is that you're not going to be attacking and critical. You know, that doesn't mean you don't address things that need to be addressed. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to address this a little bit later, but I just wanted to... So this little, I guess you could call it a graphic. Uh, um, secrets beget shame, which beget secrets. And, and that's a cycle that um, was already kind of talked about when, you know, as a risk factor. When you start having secrets, 
you feel worse about it and, and you feel like a, a bad person and so it motivates you to want to keep even more secrets which then causes even more shame and so if you see that going on in yourself it's a, a major red flag that you want to be careful about <clears throat> um, so how to avoid an affair um since the topic is healing from an affair, uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I want to make sure there's plenty of time um, for actually the healing portion. Um, <clears throat> and there's a, a little bit of redundancy because um, some of the things that help in healing an affair are the same things that help you avoid an affair. Um, You've probably heard some somebody speaking on the topic of marriage that that talks about uh, maintenance and how important that is. And I found a lot of the things that help a couple keep keep a healthy marriage, um, the maintenance stuff, is the same stuff that helps you heal when there's been some breach of, of trust. Um, and I'll mention a little more about that. Um, so openness, expressing your emotions, dealing with difficult matters. Um, again, walking towards the pain. Pain often equals growth. Avoiding pain avoids growth and intimacy. Um, going to counseling can be helpful uh, if you're struggling with certain things. Find wise counsel, whether that's through like going to a professional counselor or someone at church like an elder. Um, that can be very helpful. Having good boundaries, um, defining them overtly and consciously, and a, a classic one that a lot of people do is just not not ever being alone with someone else of the opposite sex. Um, and that's you know going out to lunch or having meetings. Um, that's it, it's it's a whole idea. Um, you know, that there's the danger of it becoming pharisaical where you've got, here's the sin, and then you've got that, um, that, my mind just went blank on the term, the hedge around it that people say, well, I won't even go this far into it because then I'm, you know, that much closer to falling into something sinful. So you don't have to place that on others and say, well, if you, if you go out to lunch with someone of the opposite sex, then you're sinning. But if you choose yourself not to do that just because you want to reduce the risk, you know, more power to you. Um, <clears throat> so with, with the idea of relationship maintenance, it's, there, there's four possibilities. Um, if you're, how many people in here like to garden? You, you may have even heard this, for all I know, in this, this uh, class. I, I always want to say semester, but quarter. Um, classic, classic example. Um, if you have a, a garden and it's in good shape and you do all the things that you need to for maintenance, you know, pruning, um, fertilizing, watering, making sure it's getting plenty of sunlight and all that kind of stuff, it will stay in good shape. If you have a garden that's in good shape and you neglect it and don't do that stuff, it will end up in bad shape. You can have a garden in bad shape, not do anything to it. It will stay in bad shape, you know, weeds and all that kind of stuff. 
You could have a garden in bad shape. You do the same maintenance stuff to keep a good garden in good shape, and it will end up, it might take more effort and um, sweat equity on the front end, um, but then the, the end result, if you do it consistently, is that you've got a good, healthy garden. And <clears throat> so finding things that, whether that's spending time together, having talks, doing, uh, you know, voicing appreciation, um, you know, texting each other throughout the day, just saying, I'm, I'm thinking of you, you matter to me, I can't wait to see you. A lot of things that can count in relationship maintenance. Um, <clears throat> Gottman's advice on this is tell your partner what you need, even if it's difficult. Even if you think they might not react wonderfully. Um, broadcast your feelings as they come up, kind of like a play-by-play -play announcer. If you get skilled at sh first identifying and then sharing and expressing your emotions to your spouse, then um, that's going to encourage intimacy. Uh, and then postpone problem solving until after you feel connected. So it's already been talked about a couple times in here with when you're having an argument, you get flooded and then logic flies out the window when you're in that fight or flight mode. And so trying to solve a problem at that point is not going to work very well and, and you may just cause damage to each other emotionally or otherwise. And so they encourage, you know, taking a break. And again, that's already been covered, so I'm not going to talk a lot about that. Um, so how do you heal from an affair? Um, there's, I'll share, <clears throat> having worked with plenty of couples where an affair has happened, I realized that there's no point in reinventing the wheel each time, so I created this little handout, and you've got the offender and the offended party, things that each of them can do that are helpful, and things that each of them can do that are unhelpful or that hinder the process of healing. I'll just pass this around. I'm not, I've got it on the map. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Can I send that out in the weekly email? Will you forward yeah, that to me? Sure. Um, and if you don't get it from me, feel free to email and say, hey, you mind sending me that thing? Um, <clears throat> so, helpful things that the offender could do to help in the healing process. Um, what, are, what are things that come to mind? The person that had the affair, and again, the, these principles um, don't just have to apply to someone that's had a physical or emotional affair. If there's any kind of betrayal, um, you know, like you bought some piece of sound equipment without your without consulting, and then your spouse feels betrayed there. Not quite as intense as an affair, you know, for most people. Um, <clears throat> yeah, anything come to mind, things that are helpful that the offender could do to help heal? Own it. Own it. Acknowledge it, not try to brush it aside or act like it didn't happen or something like that. Or make excuses. Say it again. Or make excuses. 
making excuses would not be good, yeah. Especially if secrecy is part of that whole experience, you've got to break secrecy and that's just hard to do because you don't know where it's going. If you've already been emotionally bonding with someone else, right? it's hard, hard to know what to do with those mixed emotions. And you're not in the habit of sharing with, with your spouse and if, you, if you've been in the habit and training yourself to, to be open and share and be vulnerable with someone else, it's going to feel awkward. Uh, and if, you, if you're in that spiral of shame, secrets, shame, secrets, and, and you're well done here, um, you know, that's, that's going to make it that much more difficult. Um, it takes a lot of courage. Well, and Start is, the, being is the offendee party, are they capable of hearing all of the honesty after being hurt so deeply? I mean, it's a pretty tender experience right. whenever it surfaces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the one thing that, um, ask anybody that does couples therapy, that's worked with couples where an affair has happened, um, so very often it ends up being piecemeal maybe partly because of, of the fear that if I share everything and, and open up, they're, they're just totally going to leave me. So they'll, um, quite often they get found out. It's not that, you know, sometimes the, the person says, they just come to their spouse and say, hey, I've been having an affair. But very often the spouse finds out somehow. And so then it's um, kind of, sorry, I got caught and I'll share this little bit, and then maybe the spouse continues to find out more things, and you're like, oh, you're still lying to me, and um, there's a lot of, you could get into a lot of psychology as to why that happens, uh, but it's like stepping out on that branch a little, for, if I share this, this, how are they going to react to that? Okay, I guess I can share a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> so things that I have in, in my list... Um, transparency, uh, just being as open and honest as possible, because um, you want to build a new track record, you know, to show to show that you're trustworthy. Um, <clears throat> openness and transparency, genuine remorse. Again, if it's I'm sorry I got caught, that's not really. Um, doesn't feel that genuine um, and there are different indicators from body language and the things that are being said and um, I think one of the most helpful things is to really express to the offended spouse this is the these are the things I did and he, here's how I see that it affected or impacted you um, one, one of the overarching themes with all of this is the person who is cheated on doesn't want that to happen again. They don't want to be betrayed again. So they're, all, the things they're doing, the, the motivation they have is how can I have some kind of reassurance that this will not happen again? And that's what they're looking for. And so if, if the person that had the affair sees this is how you were hurt, and I don't want you to feel that way again, then um, there's an indication that there's motivation to not do it again. Isn't there also the tendency to 
uh, blame another person, the, uh, the offendee, for contributing to that. There is. So, and that's on a slide coming up. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, sorry. No, sorry. Um, yeah, so... Um, I. I debated about whether to first do the things that are unhelpful and then the things that are helpful and end more positively, but what can you do? It's just the order I chose. Um, of course, patience and grace towards yourself and your spouse um, through the whole process of healing. Um, it is not a quick thing. There's a couple I worked with for, I want to say at least a year after the affair was found out, and then they got to a place where they both said therapy was helpful and, and successful and they were doing good. And then a year passes and the wife came back for an individual session uh, and just said, I still struggle with this. It's still hard. And I wasn't the least bit surprised uh, because it's, it's just a long process to heal. And even if both people are doing all the right stuff, then there's, there's still healing that needs to occur. Like if you, if you got a big gash in your leg, um, you can do things to help or hinder that healing. You could pour Coca-Cola on it and it's not, not likely to be a good thing. I'm assuming, I've never tried that. Um, <clears throat> but if you could put on some Neosporin, you could you know bandage it up and you could change out the bandage. My wife, a nurse practitioner, could probably give a lot better advice on this. Um, but even if you're doing all that stuff, you're staying off of it, you're you know, raising it, whatever it's involved, um, it's still like not going to be healed the next day. There's a natural process for healing from a physical standpoint, and you know, it, it would be kind of absurd to think oh, I'll just do this stuff, and then, you know, in a week or two, we'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> giving reassurance and messages of acceptance. Um, and I would, I would say specifically um, unprompted messages of acceptance. Prompted messages of acceptance would be you just had a fight, and so it's natural to say, oh, I, I love you as you're making up. Um, or if your spouse comes to you and says, hey, I'm feeling vulnerable, I'm, I'm feeling not very confident, um, and it, it's not like fishing for a compliment or, or acceptance, but if you're just voicing to your spouse that I'm feeling weak or vulnerable, then if they come back to you and say, Oh, hey, I love you. You're important to me. It, that's good, but it holds a lot more weight, I think, when those messages come, when they're not prompted, they're just sort of out of the blue. Um, and so you're allowed to do that, and it's good for your marriage. I recommend that. Um, <clears throat> empathy, understanding, kindness, vulnerability. Again, one of the scariest things. A lot of people, in, I would say, stereotypically, guys tend to have this wrong belief that being vulnerable equals being weak. Um, and I would argue that being vulnerable takes more strength. Um, and it draws someone closer to you. You know, if you're 
not being vulnerable, you're putting walls up, which is not inviting someone in. You know, but what you're trying to do is invite someone closer. Um, of course, speaking someone's love language, anybody want to name off the five love languages? Quiz, pop quiz. Acts of service. Acts of service. Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Gifts. Gifts. Quality time. Quality time. Physical affection. Physical affection. Good job. I, every time um, I'm talking with people about that, um, I just feel like people shy away from wanting to say that gifts are their uh, primary love language because they don't want to seem like they're materialistic or something. Um, <clears throat> finding a mentor or a, a same-sex accountability partner, someone that you can go to and talk about with um, that's not against your spouse. They're not going to say, well, you know, I don't blame you, you know, that they were being a jerk about it. And, you know, it's like someone who's going to encourage you to be loving towards your spouse. Um, and humility. I, I always want to make sure when I'm talking about this that these are not things that are a punishment. These are just things that work in the same way that gravity is a law. If you don't like the concept of gravity and you think, that shouldn't apply to me, so I'm going to walk off the top of this building, you're still going to fall. Like It's going to affect you. And if you see this stuff as, well, this is my spouse trying to make me pay it off, um, and you're going to have more resistance, there's going to be more uh, resentment, it's just the stuff that works. And it's important to distinguish that from, this is what you do as your penance. Um, <clears throat> things that are unhelpful. Some of these we already started to talk about. Of course, reoffending, not not going to help. Uh, doing other forms of rejection, uh, like being critical, um, not good. Of course, secrets aren't going to help. This is such a a big and common one. Get over it already. I said I was sorry. How many times are we going to have to go over this? I, I remember one time working with a couple, and the guy said some, some kind of thing like this, and he was like, it's been a month already. <laughs> you know, and one, of course, the guy has known about the affair and, and been um, wrestling with it for a long time and, and come to some sort of place emotionally, and she just found out a month ago, and, um, and he's tired of having to still address it. Um, not, not helpful. Um, blaming the spouse. Well, this wouldn't have happened if you, if we'd had sex more often, you know, or uh, something along those lines. To, it's a, a natural, easy thing for people to do, but it just hinders the process. Um, getting defensive. Anger, um, deadlines, like, again, how, how much longer are we going to have to talk about this? Um, and just, I'm sick of it already. Uh, you know, I said I was sorry a thousand times. Isn't that enough? Uh, withdrawing and pride. <clears throat> um, so we've got about a little over, do we, what time do we actually get out of here normally? Uh, in uh, one minute ago. 
I'll run through the rest of the, I was thinking we have like up to the hour, but that's not right. So things that um, the spouse can do um, that are helpful, talking about it to a point, um, there, if, you, if you're um, discussing it over and over and over again, um, there's, there's a way that, that's helpful and safe. Um, and so th- there, there's a little bit of play in there, which I don't have time to get deep into. Notice and acknowledge with verbal appreciation that your spouse makes an effort. This builds a track record in the mind of the offended party um, that you're actually recognizing that they do do things that are better. Um, if every time they try something, you're like, well, big deal, you should have been doing this all along, and you just um, brush it aside, they're going to feel like, it doesn't matter what I do, I, I'm never going to be able to, um, why, why even bother trying, you know? Um, patience and grace towards yourself and spouse, same thing, empathy, understanding, kindness. Expect triggers. It could be a song you hear, it could be a, a holiday, it could be the anniversary of when you found out. Um, even if you feel like you've got to a much better place, you might um, have all those emotions come back up. Having a same-sex confidant and humility. And then this is the last slide. Um, things that aren't helpful. Rubbing it in their face. Um, giving them the third degree. Moonlighting as a private investigator. <laughs> which I will say most, most of the people who were on the receiving end of an affair, um, they don't want to be a private investigator. They feel like they have to. And, and they would much rather be in a place where they don't have to, like, check the phone and wonder, like, see if their car's actually at work and all these kinds of things. Um, they don't enjoy that role. They just feel like they're, they're kind of required to or otherwise they might get cheated on again. Um, shutting down emotionally. Being passive-aggressive, making little, like, snide comments. And uh, anytime there's an, an argument saying, well, if you wouldn't have had this affair, you know, just things like that. Um, blaming self, which just causes shame for that person. Um, making the spouse pay it off as punishment, and, like, whether that's chores or other things, uh, just always holding it over their head. Um, is not helpful, a lack of self-examination, and pride. I could have spent the whole hour on defining pride and humility. Um, well, any, any final <coughs> thoughts, comments, questions, now that we're well over the time? All right. Thank you, Tracy. Okay. Thank you.